Welcome to the Realtors Land Institute podcast, the voices of land, the industry's leading land real estate organization. Hello, everyone. This is Justin Osborne, accredited land consultant with the Wells Group Real Estate Brokerage in Colorado and New Mexico. On today's podcast, our guest is going to be Bill Adams, CCIM. He's the president of Adams Realtors. He has a BBA in real estate and an MBA in finance from Georgia State University. Bill began his real estate career in 1972 with Cousins Properties, and that was after two years of active duty as an Army officer. Adams formed Adams Realtors in 1979. Thank you for being with us today, Bill. Thanks, Justin. I'm also an ALC. Excellent. All right. Well, it's great to be talking to another ALC, especially on a topic such as uh, 1031 tax deferred exchanges. Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, the 1031 is a really a great mechanism for real estate. And it's been around for a long time. And uh, occasionally it comes under uh, fire from the politicians, but for the most part, I think the National Association of Realtors and other folks do a pretty good job of educating our elected officials about the, the benefits of, of Section 1031. Uh, and, you know, one of the, one of the, uh, Big benefits is kind of allow small investors to build wealth. Uh, I tell people sometimes real estate 101 is buying that, is a young person buying that first property, uh, holding on to it for a number of years, and then maybe uh, selling that property, say through a tax deferred exchange, buying two properties with, with the proceeds, holding on to those two for a couple of years. So, you know, selling the two, doing another uh, tax deferred exchange, buying four properties and so on and so on. And I've known uh, developer friends who, uh, you know, it started out with one and they ended, they were buying apartment complexes within a, a 10 or 15 year period. So really is a great way to build wealth. Um, the other thing is, is uh, a lot of small investors like me like to live close to their properties. So you're, uh, you know, if, if it's nice to be able to drive by and make sure the building's still there or the, or the land is still there. And so the 1031 is great for a geographic move. If you live in Chicago and say you're moving to Phoenix, um, all of a sudden you're a thousand miles or so away from your properties. Well, you could uh, sell the properties in Chicago and acquire properties in Phoenix through the tax deferred exchange. So this is another really good benefit of the 1031. For our listeners that may not even know what a 1031 exchange is, why don't you just give a couple of minutes talking about uh, kind of the process, the steps that are involved, specifically the time frame that's involved in identifying properties and closing on properties and how the 1031 works. Yeah. Well, the most, I mean, it's the most important, I mean, the, the whole concept is that you're trading a piece of real estate, a like kind property for another like kind property. And that, what happens is you actually defer the gain on the property. So if you bought a building, say, for $500,000 20 years ago, and you've depreciated it over time and also improved it, then your adjusted basis is going to be, let's just pretend it's $300,000 or $400,000, and you were to sell that building for, um, for say, 2 or $3 million, then you would have a fairly significant 
cash capital gain tax bill to pay. So the 1031 basically allows you to take that one property and trade it for another property. And, and you, the part of the process is you really have to, it's a lot of uh, uh, making sure that you develop a good paper trail. So the first thing you should do if you decide to do that is to, when you uh, uh, go to sell the property that you're uh, relinquishing, uh, is you should put in the special stipulations the fact that you are going to do a 1031. Because uh, the IRS really wants to look at this paper trail start from day one. Same thing with a property that, that you might be thinking about acquiring. And so what happens is you, you, you decide to do a 1031, you sell, you put your property under contract. When the pro that property closes, the, the proceeds of the sale go to an intermediary who basically holds the funds because you don't get to hold the funds. Uh, and then you have 45 days to identify a replacement property and then either 180 days or the, the next time you file a tax return, whichever is shorter, to close on those replacement properties. That's kind of the Reader's Digest version. Uh, you mentioned the words uh, like kind exchange for our listeners that may be wondering, well, um, I've got a client that has a commercial property and uh, let's say it's in uh, downtown Nashville and he's heard that the farming market is really good. Uh, talk on maybe the possibilities of selling a commercial property and rolling that into some income producing agricultural property, even though those are two totally different types of properties. Well, they, you know, is, is their income producing properties. And so that's the like kind. And so in, in this case, um, it's kind of a change of property type. Let's just say that that person in Nashville has got a great offer on their property. Uh, they're thinking about retiring to Kansas or, or uh, and maybe that's where they originally came from. And there's an opportunity to buy a farm there. Uh, they could go through that whole process and, uh, and go through the 1031 and not really have it. Uh, they would defer the gain on any, any of the sale in Nashville. Um, the property and the replacement property would basically, the, the basis of that property transfers over to the new property. So uh, eventually if they were to sell the new property, they would, they would have to pay that gain. Yeah, and I think that's the key. A, a lot of people um, maybe don't quite understand. They use the word avoid. And it, it's not that you avoid the gain. It's that you defer that gain. Yeah, the only way you'd avoid that game is, is not what most of us want to do, and that's die. And so, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you were to die, then the basis for your, uh, for your estate or your heirs has stepped up. And so there's no capital gain involved there. But most of us would rather be alive and enjoy our property. So, so that's uh, uh, it's not the way that most of us want to have as an exit strategy. Right. Yeah. Not the exit strategy our spouses would prefer. That's for sure. That's correct. Well, let me, let me throw out maybe a hypothetical. Let's say it was a, a rental property and, and you wanted to uh, do a 1031 and purchase a rental property. Uh, and then a few years later, you decide, you know what, I'd really like to live there. And I want to make that my, my primary residence. Um, and let's say you do that for two years 
Uh, a lot of people would think, well, I've lived there for two years. I can claim um, as a single individual $250,000 uh, profit or $500,000 profit as a, a married couple uh, without having to pay taxes on that. But I, I could be wrong, but I don't think that's quite the case, is it? I think you have to live there a little bit longer than two years, I think, in, in order to convert it over to, uh, to a single family or excuse me, to your primary residence. I've seen people do that uh, without doing the tax deferred exchange where they had a rental property, moved into it, stayed there for two years, claimed it as their primary residence and then sold it and then moved back to their original residence. But with a tax deferred exchange, I think you have to stay uh, longer than two years. Gotcha. Okay. And what are you seeing on the, on the political front with this being an election year? Is, is the 1031 in jeopardy like it has been in years past? It's always on the chopping block. And I think that, that again, you know, I've gone, I've participated with NAR and also CCIM on Capitol Hill visits for the last eight or nine years. And, uh, uh, and it's, 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 it always, you know, again, I think, the comment you made, a lot of people think it's a tax-free exchange as opposed to a tax-deferred exchange. And so part of it is just um, our educating, our, uh, us as practitioners educating our elected officials about how the mechanism works and how uh, it really does. It's a great job creator. Um, and, and a lot of people don't realize that. They just focus on the fact that this, it's kind of tax deferral, a tax avoidance, but it, uh, it really, and, and it's a great uh, economic benefit to the country. So I think once the once folks are educated about that, then I think they tend to kind of calm down and understand the process. Gotcha. All right. Well, let's ask, you know, my, one thing on my mind is in this really tight seller's market across the country right now, uh, it seems harder and harder to find deals. And so what are you doing advising your clients on trying to identify properties to do a 1031? You know, where's a good place to put their money right now if they're looking to park some cash and defer those capital gains? Well, you know, I think it depends on the geographic area. In Atlanta, uh, if, if you can find it, industrial property is great. Uh, also, uh, land close in or in, in our suburban area that's kind of in the path of development. Um, we kind of shy away from recommending retail right now, although uh, we've had some uh, We've had some small owner uh, owner users acquire retail properties from us, but uh, but yeah, so yeah, you're correct. It's a very uh, uh, listings are very tight now, and and you have a lot of money chasing a few properties, and so uh, it's not unusual for a property to hit the market and then be under contract or have a number of backup offers on it. Well, the, the path of development that you're talking about there, finding that land kind of close to those areas, you know, for there are listeners that may not be quite familiar with that term, we call that transitional land. And uh, RLI does a, a great education class on transitional land. And so anybody that's listening uh, that wants to learn more about that, they can take a look at the rliland.com website. And under the education tab, you can see where that next transitional land class is going to be offered. Uh, I totally agree with Bill. I mean, parking your money in transitional land uh, for the long run is typically a great investment. Sometimes you don't have that short-term um, income like you would off of an investment property and multifamily or agricultural, uh, but typically the long-term investment on transitional land uh, outperforms a lot of other investments. 
Yeah, I, I kind of halfway kiddingly say that in order to be good at transitional land, you have to know, know how to read a map and, and look, look at where development is presently and, and, and look at the trends and say, I'm going to jump a little bit outside where the, where the development is right now. And, uh, and knowing that in, in your market, that that's where the direction is headed. Uh, you mentioned earlier that the uh, seller, when they're doing a 1031, they can't really take that money. It has to go to an intermediary. Um, is there a way, let's say somebody was selling a property uh, for a million dollars and they wanted to uh, take 200 of that and put it you know, into another investment or pay off some debt. Is there a way that they can take some of that and do a 1031 with the remainder or is it a, a one and done type deal where they have to roll all of it into it? No, they just, they just have to pay taxes on, on the, the money they receive, uh, but, but they can still roll the rest of it into a 1031. What about reverse 1031s? Do you have any experience with that? Yeah, we've done a couple of those, you know, and that's where uh, it's kind of backwards where you identify the property you want to acquire and then put that under contract and then, and then sell something that you already have. We've seen that occasionally with, with uh, kind of build a suit or developments where somebody identifies uh, a piece of land and they want to build a building on. And then they, uh, uh, it's a little, it, but it's a little more complex than, than straightforward 1031 uh, because you have, a, it's a, especially if you're doing redevelopment or developments, a lot more moving parts, but yeah, it's done. Well, definitely one of those topics where it's really good to have a, a good CPA on your side when it comes to doing this to document that paper trail, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, you know, one of our jobs too is, is, a, is the broker and agent is to really make sure that, uh, that you know, all the, all the steps are documented. Well, I, I love 1031s because typically when you're, when you're dealing with, uh, uh, let's say I'm a listing agent and somebody brings me an offer from a buyer who's doing a 1031, it's nine times out of 10, it's going to be a cash transaction. Very yeah. rarely are we dealing with loans and appraisals and contingencies and all that kind of stuff. Very strong buyer in that case. That, that really is true. Well, what other, what other points or topics do you have on 1031s for our listeners today, Bill? Well, I'm, just, I'm going to describe one that I did several years ago and, and kind of give you an idea of just some of the benefits. I mean, we, were, uh, we, were, we had a charge from a local school district to find uh, a site for a new school. The, um, the, the, in Georgia, we had to find a six-acre site. And so we were given some, a geographic direction by the school system. They wanted it on the north part of this town. Uh, it's a uh, suburban Atlanta town that's, that's pretty densely developed. And so we went north looking for a piece of property. Um, and e even the city manager said, you can go outside the city limits and we'll, we will uh, see if we can annex that property. We spent about six months doing this. And then the city man identified several properties outside the city. And then the, the political forces said, we can't annex anything. And so in a typical real estate project, go off on the tangent. Then, and then be brought back and say, okay, we need to redo the deal. So we actually looked south of, uh, in the south part of the city, uh, talked to a developer who had acquired a, a bunch of uh, buildings and property for redevelopment, uh, identified a uh, four-acre tract 
that was part of his development, but, but kind of across the street from the main development, convinced him that it would be very good for his development to have an elementary school across the street, um, which he eventually agreed to. Uh, we took it to the school board. They liked the site. Uh, they approached the, the state to get a waiver on the six-acre requirement. Uh, the state turned them down. And so then we went next door and talked to the, to the, the property owner next door, who was an owner-occupant. He occupied, it was about a 25 or 30,000 square foot industrial building. He occupied about half of it, had about the other half leased out. And he said, um, I will consider selling if A, you can find me a replacement property, and B, it's not a taxable event. And so long story short is that we actually did that for him. We got it under contract, found him actually a, a, a warehouse that was much newer than what he had now. It actually improved his business a lot. Uh, and we're able to put those two properties together and, and close both the deals in the, the school system had, had a uh, uh, six acre track. The school, the school system had a lot of kids in trailers. Uh, this, uh, the, uh, the end result of this project was a, a $22.5 million development, which provided a lot of jobs, everything from, from architects to construction jobs. Uh, they had to reach, they had to hire new staff for the, for the, uh, the facility. And it's, it opened in uh, August of, of 2019 and has 750 kids in the school. So really did, you know, a lot of, I mean, it's kind of a, I tell everybody, it's kind of a motherhood and apple pie deal because we really got the kids out of trailers into a bright, shiny new school. Uh, we created a bunch of jobs, you know, $22.5 million worth of constructions. And it created a bunch of jobs a lot of permanent jobs with faculty and staff. Uh, and, um, you know, it, 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 it shows the value of the 1031 because otherwise, you know, my guy next door would have said, no, I'm not moving because it's going to, he is, again, uh, like a, a lot of in, investors, purchased this building about 20 years ago, had a very low basis in it, so his, his tax uh, uh, liability would have been fairly significant. So, and the result is the school system is happy. My seller... Uh, they, they, on the 1031 is happy because he has a, a modern building uh, and he was able to expand his business more. So it went, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, that's, that's a great story, Bill. I love just a couple points there. You know, you referenced uh, it was multiple transactions. And so the, the listeners need to really understand that, you know, unlike maybe a, a buyer that contacts you online and you're selling them a home site and they're going to, they're going to build a house and stay in that for 10, 15 years. A 1031 is typically multiple transactions because there's a sell and there's a buy. Uh, you're often dealing with, you know, high net worth investors. And what you're doing is, um, you know, allowing a sense of economy to take place. I mean, I love hearing about all the job opportunities that were created as a result of that one transaction, Bill. And that can really change a whole community when you do a development like that. It was it was transformative for this community uh, again because a lot of a lot of parents at, at the school system is really uh, a really high performing school system and so it had gone from around 2,400 kids in 2010 to right now it's 5,700 and so they just needed places to put those kids and of course you know I mean part of the education 
process is having uh, a, a good uh, facility to educate kids in. If you're in trailers, uh, I mean, that's a nice backup, but it really is not what you really want to have your kids for you have the kids. So it really worked out great for the community. And again, worked out great for the 1031 guy. And the guy who sold the original four acres, which was not part of the 1031, you know, is, is developing across the street and, and it's, you know, a walk across the street to your elementary school. Can't beat that. Well, that's great. And I really appreciate you sharing this information with us today, Bill. This 1031, um, it's, it's another tool that our listeners need to have in their toolbox. When you're a land agent and you're trying to get creative on making transactions happen, uh, there's lots of tools that you need to have, and this is one of them. And the more that you can understand this, uh, the better off you're going to be in serving your clients and making transactions happen and, you know, changing economies like Bill was just talking about. You know, I tell everybody that we're in the information and the problem-solving business, and 1031 is a great way to solve a problem. Well, Bill, I'd like to thank you so much for being with us today. It's so great to hear another accredited land consultant share their knowledge. Uh, it's something that our listeners are certainly going to benefit from. And I'd just like to thank you so much for sharing your experience on 1031 Exchanges with us. You're welcome, Justin. I've enjoyed it. <laughs>